This is a Hot Pie Media original. Every time we struggle, we have a choice to be a victim or to learn and grow from it. So every day on the 50, I had lessons to learn. And I had a choice. Either I could use those to my benefit and to my good, or I could slip down the slippery slope and spiral into this giant emotional tantrum. Mm. So I had a choice every day. Hi, I'm Eric Corum, and this is the Blueprint Podcast. I've spent my life helping Olympic gold medalists, NFL, and NCAA athletes be the best at their craft. Now I'm taking that experience and translating it into your life. This podcast is for busy professionals and household CEOs who care deeply about their families, career, and their health. There's an ocean of content to wade through, but I do the heavy lifting for you and distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your lifestyle and goals. Sonny Lawrence is a speaker, a mother, and the backbone of the Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence, who recently completed 100 full triathlons in 100 days. In this episode, we discuss how to love the harder path, living a life of service, and how making time for yourself is a key to high performance. If you enjoy listening to The Blueprint, please take a moment and smash the follow button on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you frequent the podcast, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. This will help us reach more people with the message of the blueprint. Also, please check out the show notes where we've included a link for a four question survey. This survey will help us better understand the content you love and how we can better serve you. But before we get to my interview with Sonny, in 2020, I left a 15 year career in the NFL and NCAA sports to start a company called AIM7. I wanted to use my expertise in wearable technology to move past unscientific recommendations like walking 10,000 steps a day and deliver real solutions to help people improve their health and well-being. AIM7 is an app that uses health data from wearable devices like the Apple Watch or your Aura Ring to create small, scientific, personalized recommendations to help you sleep better. Increase your energy, reduce your stress, or lose weight. If you're a busy person that needs a simple solution for your health and wellness, then AIM7 is for you, and it's free. If you're ready to finally unlock the power of your wearable data, then go to www.aim7.com. That's AIM7.com to get early and free access to our exclusive program. AIM7 starts small and starts with you. Your health data, your values to get to your thriving life. But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Sonny, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have you on here. Excited to be here. I, uh, so I, I first heard about your husband, the iron cowboy, when I saw the, the documentary on Amazon, like I kept seeing this thing like 50, 50, 50, what is this thing? And your husband, uh, did 50 full triathlons in 50 states on 50 over 50 days. So for the people that are listening here, that's 140.6 miles every single day. And it was an amazing act of the human will, but there was more than just his story. It was like the family and the people that were supporting this guy. And then recently he did this conquer 100, a hundred triathlons over a hundred days 
And I started following you because every morning you would take your camera and you did these stories from your closet. And it was the rawest thing and the most true thing I've seen in a long time. What made you want to do that? So it's funny because I initially started out in the closet because I needed somewhere quiet as well as where I wasn't too noisy after James had gone to bed. So when we did the 50, I wasn't able to document the way I had hoped to. I had bought a brand new journal and I was like, I'm just going to jot down information every day. I've always been a, a good journaler and it didn't happen. I think I have the first day in Hawaii written down. So this time around, I wanted to make sure that I documented what was happening. So I wrote in a journal every day, which a lot of days was just a punch list Mm -hmm. because I didn't have time to get into the detail. And then if there was a day that I had time, I'd really get into detail. Well, with these closet talks, I initially started out just going into the closet. So there'd be some privacy um, as well as not interrupting James's sleep and whatnot. And then I just documented how the day went. And the interesting thing about that is by the time I had documented what had happened at the end of the day, I couldn't believe how much had changed since the beginning of the day. Mm. It, it felt impossible that so many things had happened in just that one day. Cause had I done that in the morning and then done it again at night, I would have told completely different stories. So that was the interesting thing about that is I was documenting it at the end of the day as how it had gone the entire day. Whereas with my written journal, I was able to kind of document each Mm. and everything. So I wanted to give the people what they wanted. You know, people had requested it and they wanted to hear from me. So that's how I decided to do it. And it it took off way more. And it turned into this official closet talk, you know, which was totally. It was hilarious. You got shoes behind you. I mean, you were just very authentic. And I think people could relate to just, the human story behind this. Before we talk about the 100, I want to talk about the 50, 50, 50. What was your experience like? Uh, Probably the worst 50 days of my life. I mean, Mm. it, it was, it started out that when James made the proposition, we had not quite finished the 2012 world record. And so I had made him promise that if I was going to comply and go along with this, that I had to be just vacationing with the kids and enjoying the summer. And so when we got out there and things started, it ended up being from minute one, not at all what I had expected. And at first, you know, with Hawaii and then Alaska and then Washington, we caught red eye flights between those. I mean, you can imagine I had James crashed off in a distance and then it was me and the five kids and coach on a graveyard flight or a a red eye flight. It was very interesting. And by the time we got to Washington, I was like finished with Washington. More like when we got to Portland, I was like Portland, Oregon. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. And that's when I kind of had the reality check that I had a choice. Either I was going to victimize myself and say, Hey, this isn't fair, or I was going to step up and do whatever it took to make this journey succeed. So I thought I was getting a a 50 day vacation with the kids to see the country. And instead it ended up being, um, everything was my job, you know, (laughs) in essence, I I started noticing that in the, in the documentary, you start seeing how you're pulled in and required to do more and more. You're taking care of five kids. You're taking care of your husband. Were you driving the RV at night? Yeah. So we had the two wingmen that were driving, but when 
when they were given their job proposition, it was like, hey, I need you to come support me and whatever. And they didn't realize that they were going to be running all day and then running all night. And so the way it worked out is Aaron drove the Subaru that was the support vehicle. And then Casey and I drove the RV. So I'm a morning person. Casey's a night person. He would stay up and drive till like one or two in the morning. And then I would wake up and drive from two to arrival, you know, eight or whatever. But what ended up happening is Casey's my friend. And there were a lot of days that I saw that he was really struggling. And I knew that he just needed to catch a break, you know? So I would drive all night on those ones. Like the first long night, I've never, I'd never stayed up all night in my life because I'm morning person. <laughs> the first drive I did was all night from Portland to Santa Cruz, California. And it was supposed to take 10 hours or something. I'm not sure, but we ended up hitting, I think I drove 12 hours and we hit San Francisco rush hour traffic. And so Casey and I switched and then he finished up that last few hours and James had flown. So by the time we actually got there, he was already on the bike biking and we passed him on the highway. So that was my first realization, you know, Portland, when during the day I realized this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. And then that night I had to drive 12 hours and then stay up all day and entertain my family and then the next night, you know, the RVs fall or the bike, the car is falling off the RV. They wake me up in the middle of the night. I'm the only person that can load the car. And, you know, it ended up being like that all day, every day. But I realized that as soon as we hit days four and five, I was like, okay, I need to shift my expectation. And the expectation changed. So it wasn't as traumatic, but at the same time, it was totally traumatic. <laughs> you had five, how old were your kids at the time? 12, 11, 9, 7, and 5. And I know that because tonight James gave a speech and said, my kids are 12, 11, 9, 7, and 5. So Quinn was really little. He was just a little guy. And Dolly too. I mean, they were little. I mean, what I really appreciate you saying there is how you had to shift your expectation. And a lot of times when things don't go the way we want them to, we just kind of grovel in that. And we're like, this is miserable. So I'm going to be miserable. But you were watching James suffer. I mean, he was truly suffering, like physical suffer. Like I remember, I don't know. I've, I'm watching this documentary. Actually, I listened to it again as I drove to Austin yesterday. So I, I downloaded it. I just wanted to refresh my memory. I don't remember what state it was in, but he had that emotional breakdown on the side of the road. I was in Connecticut, day 30. Oh my gosh. And then... And then I didn't even know that happened until I saw the documentary. I mean, it was rough to watch that. And then like, you're talking about how you have to wake him up in the morning and he is just completely beat. How did that impact you watching your spouse suffer like that? I think one of the misconceptions people have about struggling is that people think they want to be pumped up. Right. So even during the hundred, people would get in James's face and be like, you can do it. Come on. And I'm like, that is not what you do. When someone is struggling, they want a tender heart. They want a connection. They want somebody to validate them. And, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there's personalities out there who are chasing these screaming your face drill sergeants. I don't know. But generally speaking, and especially in this case with James, I knew what he needed was a tender connection. So when it came to the mornings, and having to wake him up, this was like a very serious thing. I can't emphasize the trauma that, ca- that came on his part from having to wake up 
and the trauma on my part of having to wake him up. And it got to the point where with the wingmen, we had to decide how we were going to make this work. And so eventually we got to the point where Casey prepared the oatmeal Aaron provide or provided all the gear and got that all ready. And then my job was to wake James up with this tender, gentle heart. And, you know, if I were to get in there and be like, this is your project, this is your fault. You wanted this. I mean, nothing about that's going to make him want to get up in the morning. But in addition to that, I, I started the morning by rubbing his feet because he loved having his feet rubbed. So that way, those are some gross looking feet. Oh, they are gross. They're always gross. Not even just during the Conquer 100. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there were some pictures of like fungus yeah. feet. Yeah. And you, then, I remember Lucy's like, hey, does it feel better when you pop your blisters? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, they always hurt. But that's the thing is, is that was an emotional connection. So I did the same thing on the 100 where every morning I woke him up with a foot rub because that gave him incentive to wake up, right? There was something good to be waking up for. But during the 50, I mean, it was like, I would be rubbing his feet and Casey would be getting his oatmeal and then I'd be sitting him up and then Casey would be sitting him up. And then I'd be, I mean, it was, it would, it would take us 90 minutes some days just to wake mm. him up. So that's physically exhausted. I mean, the amount of resources it takes to do so, like you hear people doing a triathlon and they're like, Hey, don't fly. Cause you could get really, you could get, have some serious issues. I think blood clots are some risk factors. There's a whole lot of things that are going on because of the inflammatory response. And you're doing this day after day after day and traveling, which is really bad. And I just, I saw your heart in all this. And I just, there's a lot of humility in that. Were there days where you didn't feel like being tender? Uh, are you married? Uh Uh-huh. 13 years. Are there other days that you don't feel like being tender? Of course. Right. So of course, and then you have to check yourself and say, what do I want to say? And what do I need to say? They're different. And when I want to say these things, am I saying them because of my own insecurities or am I saying it? Because here's the thing. If I say to James, this isn't what you promised me. You know, you have no idea how hard this is for me. All that's going to do is make him feel bad. My job is not to make him feel bad. My job is to help him achieve success. So it's one thing to be honest. I mean, in regular relationships, in your marriage, you know, you have to learn to communicate, but the timing is what matters. And during the 50, I'm not going to get into this nitty gritty as he's suffering. And in, I mean, his head is like, there's no cognizant anything in his brain. You know, he is in space. And I would tell him things that were important that he needed to address that were out in the second they went in. So, yeah, I mean, I had to check myself every single day to say, you know, you're not a victim. This isn't about you. This is about this project and it's about succeeding. And then when I was done, then I could address all those emotions that were so intense. And I mean, it took me about two years to recover emotionally from that 50. It was, it was really intense, but not just the 50, but the buildup to get there over, let's see, 2009 to 2015. So six years of buildup to get there were intense. So this is a six year lead up. You knew you were going to do this six years before? No, we knew oh. we were this project that led to this project that led to this project, right? Wow. Because you said something there I thought was very, um, I don't know. I basically, I had to take a note in my phone when I heard this. 
you said in the movie, there's a reward of the refining fire. What do you mean by that? Every time we struggle, we have a choice to be a victim or to learn and grow from it. So every day on the 50, I had lessons to learn and I had a choice. Either I could use those to my benefit and to my good, or I could slip down the slippery slope and spiral into this giant emotional tantrum. Mm -hmm. So I had a choice every day. Wow. I mean, this is, this is, there's just some powerful stuff that came out of this that I'm just sitting there going, huh, <laughs> how am I letting that work in my life? You know, when, when things are really tough, am I looking at the, I would say the blessing of refinement, uh, because that's what we all want. Like it, it's kind of like, you know, you get that rough sandpaper, but when you, when you let yourself undergo that, like there's some, uh, amazing transformation that can take place. So if you were to look back on that whole journey, what would you say you learned from that? the 50, 50, 50. One thing for sure I learned is that everybody has their own choices. And oftentimes people's choices impact other people and you have to just suck that up. So it's like, if you're the victim of a drunk driver, there's nothing you can do about that. Like you have to just say, I've been the victim of a drunk driver and I'm a, I've lost somebody I've, I've cared about, or I'm a quadriplegic for life. And it's like, there's nothing you can do to change somebody else's choices. So in that journey, there were a lot of complexities and there were a lot of choices and a lot of people involved and all of the negative choices that were made by different people impacted me. And I had a choice to let that destroy me, me and my soul and my experience or to, again, see that as a refiner's fire and to learn how to learn and grow and to say, you know, where in this am I guilty of these same things that I can be a better person? You know, how am I learning from their bad behavior, from their bad choices? But that was the 50 for me in a nutshell was really, it was, it was learning to work with difficult people and people who impacted my journey. You've got a way with words. James was right. <laughs> what do you uh, say? Oh, he just said that you're going to be way better than him. And, oh. uh, uh, you really do have a way with words. Um, when James, okay. So this 50, 50, 50 that you said, there's years of, and we're going to talk about this here. I want to ask you more about this here in a little bit about kind of the PTSD part of all this, because yeah. there's trauma. But when he now comes to you and says, Hey, I want to do a hundred triathlons I don't know where the genesis of this idea came from, but a hundred triathlons in a hundred days, what was your initial reaction? I actually, it had been enough time, you know, six years removed is when we started. So it had been enough time that I'd kind of processed my emotions and the kids are older now. And so the shock didn't really hit me the way the other ideas had. And so when he approached me with the idea, he kind of said, Hey, I can't stop thinking about this. And then he came back to me a week later and he, you know, he kind of put it out feelers out there like, Hey, I have this idea. How do you feel about it? And I was like, Oh, interesting. And then he said, I can't stop thinking about it. And I said, well, if you can't stop thinking about it, it must be the right thing to do because a my, a thought doesn't come to the mind without a purpose. So in this case, the fact that I'm like, that's God telling you that this is what you're supposed to be doing in my mind, I'm like, why would you want to? <laughs> I'm like, I just, I don't understand that. I mean, I love 
punishing myself physically. You know, I love to really work hard and to like a heavy workout and stuff. But to that extent, it just doesn't interest me at all. So I, I, it's inconceivable to me, even though we're married. But then we kind of put it out there with sponsors and stuff and put the feelers out there to see kind of how everybody took to it. And he, I mean, James had said, you know, the 50 I accomplished with all of the chaos, what would I have been capable of without the chaos? So that's where the birth of this project came is you remove the chaos and what am I capable of? So then that was a brilliant move, by the way, which part? Well, not traveling. I don't know if you know about my background. I spent like over 15 years in high performance sport, like in the NFL and training Olympic athletes and stuff. And as I was thinking about, as I, like when I heard about the Conquer 100 and I knew about the other store, I'm like taking travel out is a brilliant move Yeah, because now you control all the factors minus the weather. You're at home base. You're removing a lot of emotional strain and load because there's a psychophysiological cost to everything that you do. Well, time this, zones even. Oh my gosh. Sleeping. I mean, you know, God, great you move. <laughs> the nurturing of the soul when you climb into your own bed. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that and, was the idea, right? Yeah. Control the, control the controllables. Mm-hmm. And when I, I sat down with the wingman and I said, James, you're not invited to this meeting. This is strictly me and the wingman revising, you know, what happened with the 50 and all of the issues came from logistics. Mm-hmm. So when we're trying to plan through what it's going to take this time around, there's like almost nothing to plan because that's where all the complexities came. He knows the course. He knows the route. He knows everything. He could do it in a state where he doesn't have to be hyper aware. Yep. It's, it's really smart. What, what was your daily routine? Now you got five kids. You're a mother. You're, what would you call yourself? Are you the architect? Are you the, for the, this thing? Like wh- what was your role every day? I every day said, I don't want anything to do with this as far as everything. And then I always had to do everything. <laughs> so I don't like to be, I don't like to be necessarily immersed in James's goals because they're his goals. Right. And his personality type is like, Oh, I'll let you do as much as you're willing to do. And my personality type is like, Oh, I'm a workhorse. So then I inevitably end up doing way more than I want to do. So with this experience, I was the workhorse. Um, I didn't want to help with any of the planning. He had, you know, friends that would help him plan the bike courses. Of course we discussed everything he came up with, but I really just wanted to be behind the scenes in the background, especially with the trauma from the 50. And I had social anxiety coming back from the 50. I've always been a very social person, but I had major social anxiety. It just was, I mean, there was no space. There was no catch your breath. It was constantly strangers. Because of the camera crews? So not on the 50, but on the 100 for sure. Really? It's like they're out with James and I had a different job. James and I were never together on the 50. We're on the 100. They were in my home and they were in my bedroom and they were in my space. Oh, so is there another documentary on this? There is. Oh, okay. So it was was just so different where this time around, I was like the workhorse. So the, him and Aaron and, you know, they planned all this stuff out. And then I was the one that helped him actually pull it off. So I didn't, I don't like being involved in the planning. I'm like, you do things your way. And James and I are polar opposites. So I would 
tell him to do everything differently than he's doing it. I'm a master uh, efficiency person. Like I am so incredibly organized. It's all about efficiency. James isn't. And he never listens to what I say when I tell him stuff because it's opposite what he wants to do. So I let him do it his way. And then I step in as the workhorse and help fill in the gaps of what's not working. So that's what I would say this time around. I was just the workhorse. Like I just, it was, so I'd get up at four and I would do all of his prep work so that he didn't wake up to the very last minute. And then he'd get, I'd get him up at five. I'd rub his feet for 15 minutes. He would eat, put a wetsuit on out the door. Then I would film the live at the swim. Um, and then, you know, I'd come home and had all the family responsibilities and things like that. And then he was off the bike by, let's say, you know, of course it varied because at the beginning there was a lot of snow and stuff, but in the end he was off the bike by one. So by one o'clock, my life ended. It was like back and forth from the run, taking kids up to join him, driving people who were lost, you know, until he would finish. And then I would take care of him, pack everything in the morning and I wouldn't get to bed between 12 and two. So I was running on for the first month, I was running on two, two hours of sleep a night with no naps. And then I realized this isn't working. So then the next month I started implementing naps, which gave me about four hours to sleep a night. But in the meantime, my whole family is here, right? I have all my kids and they have school things and they have all these things going on. So I'm, I was managing all of that. And it was incredibly intense. We're on the 50. We left. We were tunnel visioned on the project. We were in an RV. Everything was at home and storage. This time around, it was mixing two worlds. So this was just as hard as the 50. It was just different. We're going to take a break for just a moment to talk about how you can get exclusive content designed for high performers just like you. If you're looking for information and resources to improve your health, well-being, and performance, then sign up for my free high-performance newsletter, Adaptation. Just go to www.ericcorum.com and sign up now. When you sign up, I'll send you my ultimate sleep cheat sheet, my guide on how to get a great night of sleep. This newsletter is my effort to bring zero cost, high performance resources and tools to anyone with the desire to improve. Now back to the show. Well, how did it impact your kids? They loved every second of it. <laughs> they were able to, they, like Lucy ran the whole project. Your course. daughter, Lucy, by the way, if there's anybody out there that's looking for somebody to run a project, she's 18 years old. She is super professional. Um, I mean, she is, she's impressive. And she just graduated yeah. with her associate's degree. At high school, the same time as high school. Yeah. So she gets lots of job offers and lots of date requests. I'm sure. <laughs> People are so her life. She was taking 15 credit hours that semester and she was actually working two jobs until April 1st. So she was doing James's conquer 100 and another job that she was contracted to do to finish up. They let her go a couple of weeks early, but she was working two jobs, 15 credit hours. So she had a, a, some volunteer time with our church and people would be like, Oh, we're so busy. And she's like, don't even get me started. You couldn't make it because you were too busy. I want to ring your net. <laughs> so she's yeah. got you. You guess she's got your fire. Yeah, she definitely has my fire. Mm. Definitely. So she and I make, we're a really great pair as far as working because we're both really good at getting stuff done. We're both really organized. And so when James wasn't cooperating, she and I could go behind the scenes and manipulate him to doing what he needed to do. 
for the most part, right? Because his personality is different than ours. He's like, ah, super chill. And we're like, you know, this has to be done. So she and I coordinate really well. And then the other, the other kids, Lily, she, um, she's starting beauty school. She is a senior this year, but she gets to count those credits. She's also doing online college classes. She runs a nail business out of the home. She is incredibly impressive and she could just jump in whenever she wanted. So she would, she would do some of the run with him or they would go to the swim in the morning and they just, enjoyed it. Then my daughter, Daisy, my third daughter, she was a freshman last year. She did the first half of the run with James on rollerblades every day because Casey was still working. Um, he's a teacher. So he's, that was kind of his peak season. So Daisy would do the first 13 miles with James every day on rollerblades. And then once April, mid April came, Daisy did the first six miles with James every day. And sometimes they would go longer. Sometimes they would do the whole marathon. Sometimes they would run the whole marathon. My daughter, Dolly, not interested at all. She did nothing. She didn't care about it. She was in seventh grade last year. She didn't care. And then my son, Quinn, he realized how fun it was. So he would hop in. I think he did eight of the marathons with James. Eight full marathons? Yeah. Running? He's, yeah. So he was 11 because he just turned 12. So his cousin, RJ, who's a year younger, would come over and go do some of these runs with them as well. So they'd show up on the weekends. My nephew, Chase, he was deeply involved. My niece, Paige, Michaela. Are you guys in a small town? We are in a small town, but we're sandwiched between two big cities. Okay. It's a secret oasis. Well, because I've just watched... Go ahead. I was just saying all these kids joined in whenever they wanted. So they really enjoyed it. Yeah, because the landscape from the videos I would watch and stuff, it just kind of looked like a small town. And then, you know, when you finished it, it felt like a small town gathering at a school and you know what I'm saying? But like, I don't know this, this whole thing, I'm sure your kids watching mom and dad do something really, really hard have embodied a little bit of that spirit. And you're talking about your daughter starting a nail business. She's like, look, we do hard things. So 15, yeah, she's 15 years old. And she started doing with this tiny paintbrush. She is I mean, and we finished the hundred and Lucy did a two week makeup course to get certified in makeup. It's like, they're just always, but I think they were raised really poor. Like we, we had to be magic Mm. to make things work when they were growing up. So all they know is you earn what you get. There's always a solution and you see it through. So that's, that's all they've ever known. And I always gave them the sales pitch that everything was exciting. So it's like, Oh crap, we don't have a car anymore. Isn't this so exciting? We got to ride this scooter or we got to walk everywhere, or we're going to go to the store with grandma now because we don't have a car. It was never, Oh my gosh, we're victims too bad. So everything in life to them was an adventure as opposed to a negative experience. I tricked Mm. them basically. You're a good mom. Uh, your kids are going to be well adjusted for a tough world. Um, and I hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, you set a good example. I mean, that's what you can do as a parent, you know, is you can set a good example and you can pour into them. Um, I love how you got bless your heart on the, over your right shoulder, uh, left, your right shoulder, my, my left. I always say that means you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I'm from the <laughs> South. Ah, <laughs> uh, bless your heart. I got Arnold. See Arnold behind me. I'm I know so you got, you got Arnold. You got a really eclectic background. You got Abraham Lincoln. You got somebody with some real eighties hair going on. You got bless Dolly your Parton. heart. That's Dolly Parton and, and Sly. Is this yeah. your, is this your office? 
Yeah, yeah. I love this it. This wall is all Norman Rockwell. Oh, this uh, is yeah. pretty cool stuff. My happy place. Yeah, everybody's got to have one. How yeah. is this? I know faith is important to you and your family. How has this strengthened or impacted your faith? Tremendously, because we believed that God told us this is the direction we're supposed to be going. And so during the journey, we knew he would never abandon us. Mm. So when the times got really hard and unbearable, I knew there was a way and I knew we were doing the right thing. Now, this didn't necessarily mean that we were going to succeed at the 50 or at Conquer 100. But what it did mean is that we knew we were supposed to be doing it. And we had to trust that what was happening was happening for a reason. And we had to lean on that faith to wait for direction. So when there was a problem and there was no solution, we had to really dig deep in prayer and faith that we would figure out that solution and that God would guide us. And he did. Mm. I mean, inevitably he provided for us every single day. No one finishes the 50 without divine intervention. I don't care who you are. If you don't believe in God, the 50 should make you believe. (laughs) I think Rich Roll said it was the most incredible act of human effort, like physical human effort. Like people, you know, I'm supporting a group of four veterans right now. They're they're going to row across the Atlantic Ocean. Less people have climbed Mount Everest than are doing this. Row? Yeah. Uh, row? Yeah, row. And uh, I just, I literally just did a, uh, a podcast with Tori Murden McClure, who was the first American and first woman to solo row across the Atlantic. And I've seen some pretty amazing physical things. When I heard Rich say that, I'm like, you know, I respect that guy. I'm like, yeah, he's he's in. When you watch this, like there was bike wrecks. He's falling, you know, the 50, I know he's falling asleep on a bike. And the 100, what day was it that he started getting shin splints? Oh, like day four. How is, how did, that was, I thought he was going to break his leg. I thought like he's going to get a stress fracture. Every day, every day is like, I feel like my leg is going to snap in half. Is it okay now? Yeah. So essentially he got a carbon plated insole that went in his shoe that strapped around his leg to hold it in place that absorbed the shock. So he wore that for like five weeks until that healed. But the irony in that is that healed and something else was injured and then something else was injured. It was like, and that's the point about the faith is these adversities were part of James's experience and they were part of making him human because if he'd made this look easy, which he had intended to do, then it doesn't empower other people. They go out and you're superhuman, but when they see him miserable and they see him suffer every second, they say, if he can do that, then I can get through what I'm struggling. So that was divine intervention in that our thought of what it was supposed to be was different than what God had intended it to be. Do you have people reaching out saying, hey, this has impacted me and this is what I've overcome now? Every day. James probably gets 10 emails a day. Do you put this somewhere? So we have been collecting these stories and mm-hmm. James would like to write a book about stories because people want to write stuff about him, but he's like, well, who cares about me? So what? I want to highlight these other families, these other people with these other stories. So he intends to, uh, whether it's a book by itself with those stories or whether he integrates it into his, that is his pure intention. Cause he's like, I mean, 
this is not a very nice thing to say, but who cares if he does another great thing? He does lots of great things, right? But when you see people who have never done anything great, do something great, that's incredible. And that's what these stories are. So he doesn't want to discredit those stories just because he did something cool. So what, right? So that's very important to us. Yeah. You can use your platform to shine a light on others. Definitely. That's the, that's the plan. That's That's awesome. I think that's a really, I'm excited to hear about this new, uh, this new documentary. My brother um, is a documentary filmmaker. He's actually in Europe right now shooting one on Millie Vanilli. And uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. He's made some pretty cool. Millie Vanilli's resurfaced. Well, Fab, uh, it's the first time Fab's ever going to tell the story. You can go read about it in Variety. Millie Vanilli is like surfaced all of a sudden. It's really cool. Yeah, it's very popular. So he he fortunately started on this a while ago and he got the inside scoop. So I understand like this whole... When you make a documentary film, you are in somebody's life and it is very intimate and you can't go anywhere without those cameras. And so when you brought that up earlier, I was like, huh, I never really thought about it from the other side of the coin. We'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are a really special family. And I, and I think that, you know, what's your Instagram handle again? Is it Sonny Lawrence? Is that it? Sunny Joe Lawrence Jail. Mm-hmm. Sunny Joe Lawrence. If you're listening to this, you should go back and you should watch these closet conversations because you don't have your makeup done. You don't have your hair done. This is like you talking about how much it sucks or what you're going through. And it's like real stuff. Somebody should, you should package that up. I think in some way, but I really appreciated you doing that in such a difficult time and um, now that that's over, what is there something that you're working on right now? Like, do you have something in your life that you're you're striving towards besides continuing to be an amazing mom to five great kids? Yeah, I would like to be the world's greatest female speaker of all time. Okay. So that's my that's my long term goal. I figure five to ten years, and I want to be the greatest female speaker ever. So, what's your plan uh, of a- uh, action to d- get there? So what God says to me is, this is what you need to be doing and one day at a time and just getting yourself back out there because, you know, I've been a stay-at-home mom for a long time. And of course, I've always done things to help provide income or whatever, but my focus and my dream was to raise my kids and now they're getting older. So I have the second stage of my life that I have plenty of time. I just love people. I love connecting with people. And my personality is you know, social and normal. And I don't, I don't know what's happening out there with the whole fake world. That's just not my jam. Um, I would love to empower women to embrace who they are, embrace the stages of life they're in. I get a lot of attention from men, which surprises me, you know, who want advice on their relationships and, you know, things like that. So it's just been one bit of exposure at a time. I've started traveling with James a bit and, you know, I saw you did some podcasts recently, right? Yeah, I've done a bunch of podcasts and I quite enjoy them, you know, because different hosts uh, request different information and they connect differently and there's a different vibe. So I quite enjoy that because I get to experience different cultures, for lack of better words, inside the podcast genre and, and, you know, like society. So I am just kind of getting myself back out there. But that really is my goal. And I I think I can make it happen. So. If somebody wants them wants you to come speak for their organization, is there a way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, the best way to do it is to get a hold of Lucy. Okay. 
incredibly organized. <laughs> LucyDarnCowboy.com. Um, but I also, you know, you can email me or DM you on Instagram or something and you'll yeah. point her her direction. Yeah. Lucy's amazing. I can see why she's getting a lot of job offers. Uh, she's a very uh, impressive young woman. So every episode, I ask three questions at the end. And um, the first question is, is what does high performance mean to you? High performance is when you have found your feng shui or when you have found your bliss or your joy. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't adversity, but it means you know where you're going. You know what you're doing, even if you don't know how you're going to get there. But it's trusting that rhythm and everything Everything feels right, even if everything around you is going wrong. That's beautiful. Because nothing was going right on the 50, for the love of all that's holy. <laughs> right? But we were headed in the right direction. We were doing what we were supposed to be doing. And every day was getting us closer to our goal, even if we were miserable along the way. You speak some serious truth. Like this is some really good raw. I think people are really going to listen to you and be like, I want to hear more of Sonny Joe Lawrence. Um, maybe you should have a podcast. That's uh, all I know is raw. Like you're never going to get fluff from me. It's just not my personality. <laughs> never get it. Well, I think it's beautiful. What habits or practices have you adopted to help you consistently be at your best? I think the most important thing I've always done is I have made time for me. Now, I don't like the word selfish. I hate that in this new society of freedom and self-expression, people are like, you got to be selfish sometime. I do not believe that because I believe that when you put other people first, you will always be taken care of. Now, I'm not saying give up who you are to care for others, but I do believe that putting people first before yourself will bless your life abundantly. And that's not what's being taught. People always say, oh, you're on the airplane. Do your oxygen mask first. I'm like, I don't believe that. I believe that if I'm running around that plane, putting masks on people, God will help me hold my breath long enough to get back to my oxygen. So my theory is look out for others and always have your sensor up to be caring for other people, but make time for yourself also. So when I had all these kids, I had five kids in six years. I had them very close, a lot of little kids. And I mean, right now I've got four teenage daughters. It's very exciting. (laughs) It's been an exciting week. I always make time for myself. Always. And if that is taking five deep breaths, that's all it is. But if I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to get my training in, I did it and I did it for me. I went to college right before I finished college right before the 50. And it was a tremendous sacrifice to get all those classes in before we left for the 50. But I was doing it for me. So all of that intensity and all that sacrifice was for me even though all along the way I was taking care of my family and taking care of James or whatever. So I don't necessarily believe in putting myself first, but I do believe in always making time for myself. That's a great response. I think others before yourself is something that's, you've heard of like the I'm third lifestyle. No. So this is something I grew up with. There was a camp I went to as a kid called Canacuck and it was uh they had the I'm third lifestyle. It was God first, other second, and you third. And it was something that really was like ingrained in me as a kid, especially for my parents. Like, and I think President George H.W. Bush said, um, you know, a successful life cannot be defined unless there's a service to others. And like, I think that you embody that. And um, I think everybody like finding somebody like our world would be so much better 
if we found like one person in our neighborhood to go help. Like if everybody just found one other person to go help, I think a lot. And like, and you took the spotlight off yourself and we're like, try to make meet somebody else's needs. I think a lot of these problems that we have would disappear, you know, that's, and maybe did it in a way that made you a little uncomfortable too. Wholeheartedly God, others and self. Cause let me ask you this. James may have had to put himself first in the journey, right? Like if somebody got a flat tire, he can't pull over and wait for that person right. or he's, he's not going to make his journey. Right. But he always checked up on them. He was always highlighting other people's stories. He was always looking after the people he was with and whatever. His mind was never just me. The kids would come home from school. He'd say, how was your day? Right. That's him thinking about them before he's thinking about himself in T2 in misery, trying to get himself out on the run. So that's beautifully stated. That's exactly what I believe. Mm. So what are you doing now to invest in your personal growth? I intentionally do things that I don't want to do or that are hard or scary. So for instance, when I I started mountain biking recently, a couple years ago, and when I'm on a flat, easy course, I intentionally hit every rock and tree branch I can (laughs) to practice the hard stuff under a controlled circumstance. Or if I don't want to go down a hill that's hard and scary, I do it on purpose because I don't want to. Or if I have tasks and chores that I don't want to do, I intentionally get up and do them because that is what builds character. And I love it. I love the harder path. I think that is the perfect way to end this. Loving the harder path. That's actually going to be in the title. I was thinking this whole time, I'm like, what am I going to title this thing? Loving the harder path. That's your book. That's your book. And then you could have like this really long subtitle. Uh, But (laughs) Sonny, this has been tremendous. And I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your family. I'm thankful for you guys living out some really tough stuff in front of the whole world. And I hope that you guys just continue to have a tremendous impact. If there's anything I can ever do for y'all, just let me know. So thank you for coming. Wait, I need you. What advice do you have for me? What advice do I have for you? Um, you know, I was thinking while you're doing this, like if you ever decide to do something like this again, (laughs) knowing your husband from afar, I can imagine there's something cooking in his brain. I don't know how you could do more than a hundred. Sleep is something that you can't go without. And when you were talking about the napping, that's where I did my doctoral work in. And, um, so if you're ever deprived, actually, I just read a new paper recently. If you're ever less than five hours of sleep, here's just one little nugget for you. Okay. The perfect duration for a a less than five hour night of sleep is 10 minutes and anything longer, you're going to start getting into that. You know what sleep inertia is where you feel like, Oh, terrible, right? 10 Mm -hmm. minutes boosts your cognitive performance, improves your mood. And it can actually improve athletic, uh, like, performance. So like when you're a mom, you're really tired. Maybe you put in a long night. Maybe you're doing something for you. Maybe you're working on your book and you have a, you're having a rough day and you're like, I need a nap. Just keep it to 10 minutes. Don't do it anytime after three o'clock. And if do you like coffee? No, I don't use any caffeine. How about you? Only if I'm racing or something. Yeah. If I'm like racing or I'm doing like a 12 hour hike or something, then I'll take some caffeine. But besides that, I like to just all natural for me. Good. Well, if you ever get in a tight spot and you're like, I really got to be my best, a little bit of cough. I'm talking like a little bit right before you take the nap, uh, impacts something called adenosine receptors in your brain, which is good, which will mean that when you wake up, you will not feel groggy at all. 
you'll hit the ground running. Yeah. Because it's not going to kick in for 10 minutes. Take capping right? takes a little while. It impacts these. So when you, during the day, there's two pressures for sleep. There's a nat, this, I don't want to get into all that, but there's one thing, this chemical called adenosine that builds up in your body that makes you have this hunger for sleep. Well, caffeine impacts adenosine, the adenosine receptors. So they kind of block it. So that's why you don't feel tired when you have caffeine. But if you drink too much, then what happens? You get this crash because it kind of got this overload now. But if you're ever in a little bind, 10 minute nap, a little bit of, little bit of coffee and you'll just be, you'll be uh, doing great. So your kids are like, man, mom, what happened to you? No, I napped. I, I had to work early. I had to work at five 30 in the morning for years. And I napped every day until after the 50. Mm. Every day, yeah. it wasn't 10 minutes. It was like two hours because I was getting up at four in the morning, but I love naps. So I love the thought of just a 10 minute snoozer. And I would say this one more thing. You kind of, you need to do your thing. Like you have a message that needs to be told. And I was planning on doing this when we got off the air, but after listening to you, like you, you I could see you out there with the Brene Browns of the world. And so I would just encourage you to keep pursuing that because you, you're, I have, if I could show you my computer right now, I have all these notes that I've taken for content of what you just said, and I'll send all of it to you so you can use it. But like you are, a, you are a quote machine. And uh, I mean, I appreciate I'm, that. Thank you. Yeah. You need to, capture this stuff because you, you have a story to tell and a message. And I think you're going to have a tremendous impact. Well, the beautiful thing about someone like Brene Brown too, is how old was she when she finally hit it hard? I think she's in her forties. I just turned 40. So in my closet, I have pictures of all these people I admire and the majority of them were over 40. So that's, that's me, right? The second Mm -hmm. stage of life. And I'm ready to like hit it hard. Go get it. Go get it. Well, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I loved it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I think you should check out episode 13 with Andy Rise. I think his insight on overcoming fear and developing mental toughness may be of value to you. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.